On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and joining me for this week's show, I have Chief Cricket Writer for News Corp and the man who has broken all the stories recently. Welcome back to the show, Ben Scoops Horn. How are you, Benny? Uh, don't know about that, Menace, but it's good to be back here for the show, and uh, congratulations on the nomination for um, the National Podcast Award. Yeah, great effort to, to be up there in the nominations. Thank you Absolutely robbed you were, mate. Robbed. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Bardo. And so joining us now on the show, we have Joe Barton making his debut, and this is a significant coup for the show because we've wrestled him away from the Fox Cricket Podcast and the, the arms of Tom Morris and Brett Jeeves. So welcome, Joe Barton. You, you have to be very kind to me because, uh, yeah, T-Moz and, and Jeeves, you've have shown me the podcast ropes over the years, so... Yeah, You're in better hands now, I can say <laughs> that. Uh, so we've got a big show this week. We're going to de- dissect next summer's cricket schedule. We're going to delve into the commentary critique, and then we're going to bring you all the world cricket headlines. But first, a couple of things I want to start off with, and this is something you wrote on the weekend, Ben, and it really struck a chord with me. I really got what you were saying. You wrote about Mark Taylor, whether it be on TV, on a selection panel, on the board, or as many believe, serving as the game's godfather and chairman, Australian cricket needs Tubby. Do you want to just explain a bit of your thought behind that one? Well, um, the scenario is that Mark Taylor's obviously been on Channel 9 for 21 years before he even retired from Test Cricket. So he's been there a long time now. Uh, Channel 9's lost the rights, of course, to call the cricket. So uh, I guess he's come to the, the, the... point for the first time in a couple of decades where uh you know he, he's got options in front of him about what he what he might do um the, the chairmanship is something that i've heard suggested around the traps that people think that he would be ideally suited for that but he's always said that he wouldn't touch it while he's working for cricket australia's broadcast partner but uh so i guess we it's a wait and see now um whether seven or fox swoop on tubby and and want his services i imagine at some point in the process he probably will get a call from from them but yeah if he's independent from the broadcast partner you know there's every chance mark taylor could take on a a bigger role in cricket what's what's more important to him is it the you know a role which is really pushing cricket forward or is it being a commentator well, I think he likes commentating, but uh, I think he's enjoyed that career and, um, you know, had Channel 9 retained the rights to test cricket, I'm sure he would have continued doing it. But I guess, yeah, there's a couple of things at play now. I mean, he he may get commentary offers, but his loyalty to Channel 9, perhaps, um, you know, perhaps he doesn't want to leave Channel 9 or work for another network. So uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it's something he's probably uh, had to think about till now, but just the kind of respect that he has internationally, um, and just around the game, I think, would serve him well as chairman, particularly at a time, I think, when Cricket Australia needs an image facelift. You know, I'm not sure that they can 
uh, get respect back by keeping the 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 guys in charge um, who have been there for, through all this in charge going forward. So I think um, you know that they need they need a change somewhere, and Mark Taylor could be a good candidate. I agree, and probably where he's least useful is actually on the TV. I mean, he's a good commentator, but I, I don't think he's a, a wonderful commentator that the Australian public would genuinely miss. So I think having his influence in more powerful areas might be the best use of his talents. Yeah, I completely agree. He's, he's, he's an influencer and he's a, a powerful voice for Australian cricket. Um, I'd like to see him have a more hands-on role rather than just be in the, in the commentary box. Yeah, and he's got a very level head. Mm. All right, now let's get on to the biggest news in Australian cricket. Australia has appointed a new coach. Justin Langer is the head coach of all three formats of the game. And I guess, Ben, I'll start with you. How close do you think someone like Jason Gillespie was to getting the job? Uh, not very close at all, I'd suggest. Um, it seems to me like Langer had the job from the start and they didn't really bother interviewing anyone else. So, first of all, I think it's a good appointment. I think uh, Langer deserves it and was always the successor they had in mind for Darren Lehman. Uh, obviously, the circumstances tra- changed drastically and came forward a long way. And I guess the circumstances around the image of the team probably uh, theoretically brought Gillespie into play because, you know, of his character and, um, you know, the way he operates. But, yeah, I really don't think they considered anyone else and um, whether they should have or not, I'm not sure. Um, people think, and I kind of can see this point, I actually in some ways agree with it, that perhaps they should have waited till this review was done before locking in a new head coach. Um, if you want the review to be seen as being done properly, I think that that makes a lot of sense. But then again, there's a whole year of cricket going on and, and can you really have an interim doing the job so I guess it was a bit of a tough one but yeah I don't think they really thought about anyone else yeah they've got I mean they've got cricket coming up fairly shortly um, in June they've got the ODI so I think they couldn't really muck about they had to have somebody in place even if it is, does mean jumping the gun ahead of the end of this review um, mm. you, you can't just sit on your hands you need to have somebody leading the team yeah and it, and not just that I mean they're going to Zimbabwe after that and then they've mm. got test matches in October so there there is a lot of cricket this year, and that was one point with Langer getting all three formats, and it seems now like Tim Payne will captain the one-day side as well. They really want this continuity um, across the the formats with leadership for this initial uh, six twelve month period. So yeah, I, I can see why they wanted that 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 figurehead there straight away. I think the whole cu- culture of you has been overplayed, and I think that we had to appoint a coach with so much cricket coming up. And uh, Ben, you just touched on there that there was talk about splitting up the roles before Langer was appointed and maybe having a, a T20 coach and then someone handling the one-day sides and the test side. I guess in this particular instance, it just wouldn't have made sense, especially if you consider the success Justin Langer has had with the Scorchers in the Big Bash, to not have him coach the T20 side would have seemed sort of outrageous. So I guess you had to give all three jobs to Langer. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think Langer wanted that. I think he went in saying, I want all three forms because, like I said, he he feels that it's important to have that continuity across all three, which is what he's had in Western Australia. But time will tell whether it's too much. I mean, the the international schedule is is helter-skelter, Often you've got situations where the test team's in a different place in the world to the T20 team. Darren Lehman was certainly saying towards the end that it is too much for one coach and the plan was when Lehman finished up next year, uh, Ricky Ponting would take over in the lead-up to the World 2020. So it's a pretty big change in thinking from Cricket Australia to go from that point to now 
saying definitely that Langer will be the the head coach um, all the way through to that T20 in in uh, in Australia that that takes place in a couple of years time. So yeah, I can see why Langer wants to do all three formats, but I'm not entirely sure that it that, that it's a manageable workload. Yeah, I understand the the issue of continuity across all all the boards. He wants to be the coach and drive his message message home and be around the team as much as possible. The T20 team does not play a lot of cricket, so I don't really know if having those three weeks off a year is mm. going to make a huge difference to his continuity. And I do have some concerns about not be, not giving Ricky Ponting enough roles in Australian cricket. I think he, long-term, he's a guy who absolutely has a huge role uh, in coaching. I think he's definitely a future coach of the national team, of the of the test team. Or, or if I was in Cricket Australia, I'd be wanting to push Ricky Ponting through and get, start giving him some responsibility more than just, you know, you can be a member of the uh, T20 coaching team. So you can hold, you can throw, do some throwdowns and that sort of thing. I'd want him right in there. I, I would have I would have definitely given him the, the mm. reins for the T20 uh, squad. I guess what does help in this relationship is that Langer and Ponting are great mates. So That's if, true. say, Langer heads off to a test tour and, and leaves the T20 side with Ponting, they hopefully will be like-minded. Mm. Um, what I know about Justin Langer, because the, when his announcement was made, a few people sort of spoke about his you know, passion when he played for Australia and how competitive he was and sometimes he'd get a bit of the white line fever. But, you know, I sat next to him at a game uh, at the beginning of the season at Hurstville for a while and we had a good chat and he comes across as someone who has very much changed since he retired. So he's he's been able to mature and grow as a person. And then when you speak to players that have played under him, they all say how much of a sort of father figure he is. I mean, Ashton Agar talked about him on the podcast recently that Justin Agar cares for him as much as a person as and as a cricketer. So I think those show that Justin Langer has a sort of a really fully formed view of coaching that sort of may be a bit more nuanced to what just, uh, Darren Lehman had, that his man management will be sort of one stage more developed. And I guess unless you're having Steve War as your coach, Justin Lang is the next best cab off the rank. What do you guys know about JL? Uh, look, I think the biggest thing um, that Australia needs from him, and um, I realise that everyone's talking about the culture and the need to review that, but I think, you know, a fresh voice in there, in, in someone of Langer's character, that will kind of automatically happen, I think. What Australia needs from Langer is for him to be a, a, a good technical coach. I mean, we heard uh, Kerry O'Keefe, I think, a few weeks ago on the back page just going through the top six and their techniques, um, especially with Smith and Warner out for 12 months. Australia needs to improve their batting massively. And uh, and so they need a coach who can who can do that and make the batsmen technically better and and see them improve because I don't think our batsmen have improved enough over the last few years. This this is a bit off topic. Has there been much discussion about the rest of the the coaching staff? Is that going to stay the same? Of is Saker still bowling coaches? Is is, is is there going to be any changes to to Lang's? Is he bringing in his own guys? Or um, who is, is he going to be batting coach? He is still yeah. yeah. Is but is that going to change? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I wouldn't expect any changes. Uh, anytime soon, I think you know that they're going away in June, and and that's pretty soon. So look, I I haven't heard of anything happening immediately. I think they're all on contract till till late next year after the Ashes finishes. So yeah, I, I guess it, it, time will tell, like whether Langer feels that he needs to make any changes. But um, 
yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. It'll be one to keep an eye on. Ben, you had a really interesting point in one of your stories uh, recently that when Justin Langer took over the Australian side when uh, Darren Lehman was taking some time off, he wasn't too uh, happy with the level of fitness within the Australian team and thought that they were cutting corners at training. What, sort of, what, what is that sort of? What, where did that come from? Um, oh, well, no I'd, names, obviously. Mm. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I don't think it was anything sort of widespread or he was talking about like this systematic thing I think it, there was just a couple of observations about a couple of players that yeah he felt like they weren't um, as fit as they should be playing for Australia I mean yeah it's not to say that that wasn't a priority for Darren Lehman either it's just I think Langer is very very fitness focused I mean he's um, yeah he, he was known for that when he was playing uh, he's he, yeah he's very intense in that uh, in that respect and and he's very much about about being fit so Hopefully, it benefits a few of the players in that side. I mean, guys like Aaron Finch and Mitchell Marsh, Usman Khawaja, these guys have had who have had a lot of soft tissue injuries and all that kind of thing. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe Langer's methods might cut a bit of that down. Apparently, also drinking alcohol does contribute to you getting soft tissue injuries. So, I, I don't think that the Australian team had any kind of um, drinking issues. No, though, no, I just no. just wanted to put that out there mm. that it can lead to soft tissue injuries. All right, is, that so, my, is that why I keep breaking yeah, down? I, I, don't, I don't recall having any soft tissue injuries. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had a few You've recently. You've got to run. To... Um, you were saying that Langer demands sometimes as a drill that the team that plays run 100 runs, literally. That'd be tough. Yeah, yeah, that's one of his um, one of his methods. I mean, I think that's just that really is Justin Langer in a nutshell, you know, fitness orientated, but also wants players to think about what they're doing. I mean, even though some people might come in and think, oh, that's kind of bizarre or, 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 you know, silly, like there's a meaning to it and he gets the players to think about what they're doing. Like he's big on visualization and goal setting and all those kind of things. So, I mean, the, the reason why I think Lang is a good appointment is because he's an infectious personality, I think. I mean, he believes all this stuff. He's, he demands respect from what he achieved in his own career. And I think players will will listen to him. So I think he will make a difference. Yeah, I think we'll see a little bit of the things that John Buchanan brought to the Australian side when he was in charge and where you try and find different ways to engage the playing group and different ways to motivate the playing group and different ways to get the best out of the playing group that sort of come at things from different angles. So I think we'll see a little bit of that from Justin Langer. He did say that he was going to be very welcoming to Steve Smith, David Warner and Cameron Bancroft. Uh, when their bands are finished. So that's a positive thing for the future. He obviously knows we need the batting. He has to pick a new one-day skipper. That's a very imminent decision for him. But I guess broadly speaking, if he can turn this team around and actually beat India at home next summer without Smith and Warner, he will have done an amazing job. He'd be the greatest coach in history if, yeah. he, can, if he can turn it around in, in the space of six months. Exactly. Um, with with an it's almost entirely new top order. And he's got to repatch patch up his relationship with Matty Renshaw, who, <laughs> as we remember at the start of the summer, he essentially threw under the bus and... Um, put a lot of pre- heaped a lot of pressure on. Well, I mean, he he came out essentially in support of Cameron Bancroft, but um, Renshaw was the incumbent uh, opener going into the Ashes, and Justin Langer in his role as uh, West Australian coach was came out and had several press conferences where he mentioned that Renshaw was scoring quite slowly, wasn't piling on the runs in the way that you'd want from um, your incumbent opener, uh, and you know, I mean, he was doing that, he was essentially doing it to push the case of, of his uh, his own opener, Cameron Bancroft who must be a pretty happy man even while he serves a nine-month ban. But yeah, I mean, I, it, led, it led to... It, it certainly added fuel to the 
debate that, that Renshaw wasn't going to be up to the task for the Ashes and ultimately he, he didn't get picked. So Backfired on JL there. Well, I mean, it backfired, but at the moment Renshaw is the only, only Aussie really piling on the runs in a his, big way in England. His so. stocks have risen while everyone else has gone down. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's several blokes in the Australian team who no longer have stocks. They've all been sold. But yeah, Matty Renshaw is piling on the runs uh, in county cricket. Scoring centuries for fun. One thing I liked from JL's press conference was um, his kind of, you know, his specific focus, I suppose, for this period while these batsmen are out. And obviously, it's a complicated situation with these guys coming in. They don't just walk back in. But I liked how Langer's focus is on if we can get one or two of these batsmen over the next 12 months to really come on, then when Warner Smith and possibly Bancroft do come back, then it, we're going to suddenly have a, a very good-looking um No, it's a tremendous lineup. opportunity. So, it's a yeah. tremendous opportunity for the batsmen around the country. I mean, how often do you get the Australian cricket team, apart from Rebel Tours or, or Bands or World Series cricket, where half the batting lineup gets rubbed out in an instant? So the opportunity is there for these players like Burns, Maxwell, Renshaw, that have been on the fringes, haven't been able to break into the side, can now come in and cement a spot and then... The challenge will be for someone like Bancroft to get back in the side. Mm. So I think well, you're 100% right on that I one, was, um, Yeah, I think I was talking to you, Joe, um, a couple of weeks ago, and you, you mentioned, like, with Australia's bowling attack, that these batsmen, I mean, essentially their focus has to be on putting 300-run totals on the board. And well, give... that, that won't be enough. I mean, if you look, mm. at, you look at how much how many runs you need to score on Australian wickets, this is, this is how the Australian team has been built for, for home series is we have flat wickets and we know that we know that Stark, we know that Cummins, we know that Hazelwood are going to be good enough to to bowl the opposition out for 300 runs, but that's only that's only good enough if you've got David Warner, if you've got Steve Smith mm. piling on the runs getting 450 500. If this Australian team is only going to get 300 runs, that's not going to be enough. Mm. Um, and we need we need to have somebody this summer who's going to have who's going to get 500 runs. It's just that that's that's the that's the the base that's the mm. base target that we need from somebody. It'd be very interesting to see what they what I, what they do with Usman Khawaja because with Warner and Smith there, I think personally, I think they need to invest heavily in Khawaja. I think his his experience they need to get get that out, and uh, and I think he needs to be the the rock for the for the top order. But Maxwell as well, I think. I mean, he's he's arguably the best performed Shield batsman over the past mm. say three summers. Mm. You'd you'd think that he's He's going to have a, a spot in that team uh, this summer. Mm. It would be, it'd be amazing if they left him out, considering how close he was last year as well. Mm. And yeah, this, as, as you've already said, man, is, this, is, this is Maxi's chance to, to really really show why he's a player of such great potential, why he's been, had so much invested in him over the past five, six, seven years. Well, the interesting thing... Uh, I just thing, think Lang is better equipped to deal with someone like Maxwell. Sorry, Ben. I just, oh, sorry, I, I just was going to say that Maxwell and Kawaja are almost kind of the opposites of each, of each other. I mean, Kawaja's going to have to get through a tour of the UAE against Pakistan before he gets to the home summer. He's done very well at home, but can he get through that? And, you know, particularly because at some point, Lang is going to need to think about a number three who can play all three, sorry, mm. in, sorry, in all, all conditions. conditions yeah. And Maxwell's the other way. I mean, he should do well in the UAE, but um, there's question marks over on bouncy Australian pitches, whether whether he can he can handle that. So conditions wise, those those two have some you know, they need to they need to answer some questions. Two other players from the bowling group that I think have a, a really interesting end of the year ahead of them. Pat Cummins, who's been put into the review 
of Australia, the Australian cricket team culture. He's looking favourite to be vice-captain of Australia, which would be a big appointment. And then there's also Nathan Lyon. Now, Nathan Lyon had a pretty down tour of South Africa. He didn't bowl that well. He got in trouble in the first test for dropping the ball near or on AB de Villiers. He doesn't seem quite on top of his game. So I think those two players have big years ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Lyon's coming up. Prior to that South African tour, he's coming off an extremely successful 12-month period. So, And, and he always seems to be able to, to, to take wickets in Australian conditions. So I'm, I'm fairly confident he'll be able to, to bounce back. But you're right, he wasn't... But most of the Australian team didn't quite look themselves. It seemed like it was a... Even before ball tampering gate, that was it was still... A very a highly stressful tour for the Australian players. I had Nathan Lyon mean, in my cafe two weeks ago, and he did not want to do an interview. So, <laughs> so this is why you're throwing him down. If you break it up, though, I mean, Australia won the first test. Lyon took a couple of key wickets. Second test, uh, Australia did let AB de Villiers go wild, but otherwise, I think batting let them down in that second test, and then the wheels obviously fell off. So, yeah, I don't think Nathan Lyon was culpable in any way for what happened over there. But, but he's a yeah. senior figure now. He's the most capped player in the side. He's the heartbeat of the so team in many ways. He, like, big, big, he doesn't bat, though. Well, no. <laughs> That's not big, true. Big role to fill, though, in that dressing room. I think it's time for him to really step up. All right, so we've had Justin Langer appointed as the new coach. Let's move on to the other big news in Australian cricket, the International Cricket Summer Schedule for 2018 to 2019 has been released and it and does signal a big change in the way that they structure Australian cricket. I think Australian cricket's trying to move sort of to the global sports phenomenon where you try and stretch out your sport and have it sort of in the spotlight for as long as you can. And we've seen other sports like the AFL do it with their draft. I think cricket's trying to make the summer longer. So the the summer kicks off with the women's cricket team playing New Zealand with it in a T20 series starting on the 29th of September. What's interesting about that one is that the AFL grand final sort of is in the afternoon and then the, the women's team will play straight after. So you've got to think that's a big boost for the women's cricket team and the cricket summer. Yeah, why isn't there a women's day-night test this summer? That's a good question. That was a great event, I thought, at North Sydney Oval. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and no better place to play it than North Sydney Oval either. Well, mm. we just play <laughs> seem to play test match cricket against England in the women's game. That's, yeah. and, and despite all the wi- Australian women's players wanted to play more test cricket and have mixed series, so when New Zealand come playing them in one test and a T20 series, they've just gone for the white ball game. Mm. Well... Yeah, particularly that first series you were talking about, Menes, is because they've got a World 2020 straight after it, so that's direct lead up to that. Yeah, look, I, I think the summer is the schedule is good and bad. I like, I like, yeah, the the the, the women's big bash and the the women's internationals getting their own air. I think that's that's great, and I also like starting with the one days for the men in in November. I think that's a much more natural way to build up people's interest. So that's a three-match one-day series against South Africa starting 4th of November uh, in Perth and includes a game in Tasmania. And then they move on to a T20 international against South Africa on the Gold Coast. Have you guys ever been to a game of cricket on the Gold Coast? Has there ever been a game of cricket played on the Gold Coast? (laughs) Not sure. Not not to my knowledge. Earmarks may be a big bash team there in the future. So, yeah, sorry, you were saying about those games, Ben. You like that? I like that, but... On the other side, I, I don't like how long the summer is getting into mid-February, way too long, and I think it's way too congested by that 
late January period where they're trying to do all this BBL and yeah, in, a couple in, of tests against Sri Lanka. I think it's I think they're overcooking it and people will be completely over cricket by f- early February. I in, think. in particular with the BBL, um, I know they've added another sixteen games to what already felt like quite a long BBL season. I know how, what you guys were feeling, but I was towards the end of the the season last year. I was definitely feeling a little bit lethargic um, mm. coming into the games and they all kind of I know I know that's the that's how it is they kind of wash into one but by the end of last year it, it felt like the season had gone on a little bit too long and mm. if you're going to add another 16 games to that and spread Plus it out two test matches well I know it's just, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a very very long summer for for uh, for fans and- I I mean I I think they we've talked about this before on this podcast but I I like the less is more kind of approach you know yeah. you're an NFL yeah, well, fan butter NFL games. NFL NFL I'm just writing a note here that you guys I'm going to rub you off the podcast so you guys like cricket I love I mean, cricket I genuinely am thrilled that they've extended the season because when I was growing up the the fifth test was always around that first week of February you'd mm-hmm. have the fourth test in Adelaide the Australia Day weekend and then you'd you'd go into the the, the fifth test after that in early February. So I like stretching the season out into February. I, I mean, I have a genuine insatiable appetite for the game. Well, I suppose you're right that it's too, it's unfair to make a call on what people will be thinking about the test matches. Let's see how that goes. Um, and um, perhaps people will, will get into those tests. But specifically about the Big Bash, I think um, I think 16 more games is, is overkill. Growing up, you didn't have the Big Bash to worry about every night, mate. I, well, I wish I had done. It would have been <laughs> such a much better childhood. But um, uh, well, you can see the IPL now has is going on at the moment, has the same length of the Big Bash we'll have. Now, the crowds in the in IPL are very good, mm. uh, but there was talk about some of the that the IPLs are dips in the middle, Sort of there's a little lull around the halfway stage and then sort of picks up again towards the climax Mm. of the qualifying stage. So, uh, look, I think the crowds will be interesting because they started to dip last season in the Big Bash. And if that trend continues, you you don't want the Big Bash being played out in front of empty stadiums. No, and I think the Big Bash has been such a raging success. I don't really want to get to a point where people become a bit over it if you know mm. what I mean it's 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 so important to have this bi- the big bash be be successful and still be popular and if you try and if you kill that off and if people start to go oh okay big bash is on again tonight you know I'm pretty much done the, the sixth of season ended five games in or whatever that's that's when it starts to become a concern particularly having you know the the business end of the season so to speak when the school holidays are finished and everyone's mm. back at school I just think that's a bit that's a bit risky. Like it's not just one or two games. You're talking about possibly two weeks of cricket while kids are back at school. So I personally, I think that the final should be around that same time as the Australian Open final, the end of January. I think that'd be that'd be perfect. Yeah, I sort of really like the Big Bash. They really like the expanded Big Bash, and I like moving it past the Australian Open. But interestingly, I've interviewed a lot of players over the last two years who were pretty much universally against expanding the Big Bash for precisely the reasons you outlined, that they have concerns and they want the competition to prosper. So this adds a risky element to it. So, look, keep that in mind as the summer plays out. We haven't got the Big Bash schedule yet, so that is still to come. There's a few other things in the schedule, a four-test series against India, and I want to pick out of that the first test in Adelaide. They're talking about it being a day-night test, but I don't think it will be. My question is, why should India play a day-night test in Adelaide to start the series? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's Australia's series. We, we, need, we need some home ground advantage, and if they're refusing to play at the Gabba and they're refusing to play at Perth, 
what's what it, what what is the home ground advantage that Australia has here? And perhaps they might want to think about the overall future of the game rather than how they're going to go on this series. That, that's fine, but there is a little thing called leverage. Obviously, what eighty-one cents in every dollar cricket makes comes from India, so they hold that over every negotiation. But really, they come to Australia; they want to win. Now, if they play for the first ever time under lights against the Australian attack with the pink ball, they're sending their team into a slaughterhouse. So, but, it, it what, be, but what you're saying is it'd be like Australia arriving in Pune and going, no, no, we want this wicket. It's ridiculous. This is, this is Australia's home series. I think that, look, New Zealand had to be induced into a day-night test. through. Play, we're playing them for the next 20 years every year. You had South Africa with a cash inducement, I think, a financial inducement. So... I think India have every right to sit back on this one and say no because they want their team to win. Plus, it's not good for the series. India come, they get smashed in the first test. They're 1-0 down. I can totally see why India are sitting on the fence on this one. I never well, thought I'd see the day that Manners would be in uh, the BCCI's pocket, but here it is. It's a farce that India have any say over it at all, but um, th- that, that just explains how powerful Indian cricket is. I guess one thing it does show is that Australia are basically out there on their own as uh, advocates of pink ball cricket. Like, I think they thought everyone else was going to jump on the bus with them, but they're basically out there on their own. I mean, aside from Pakistan, who apparently were very willing to play a pink ball test, they've basically had to, you know, um, pay off or, you know, beg every other team to to do it. So I think it's, you know, I, I think it is a good thing. I like day-night test cricket, but the, so other, I, the other countries haven't got on board. I can see why they're not. Well, we will have one against Sri Lanka at the Gabba later in the summer. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with one of the f- most popular segments, the commentary critique segment. But before we take that break, I just re- want to remind you all to rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. If you can go on and follow the show on Twitter, it's at Oz Cricket Pod, AUS Cricket Pod. I'm on Twitter at A Menas. As Ben was saying, the podcast made the final of the sport category at the Australian Podcast Awards, but we didn't win, unfortunately. We lost to a monthly 15 minute show. So we're going monthly and 15 minutes, listeners. Hope you enjoy it. Just Are we still going to get paid the same? <laughs> Pays the same. No, I'm just joking. Hour. It's going to stay the same show. But thanks. I just want to – I was really thrilled to be in the final, and I want to thank all the contributors to the show over the summer that got us in there. It was a great night. All right, quick break, and then we'll be back with the commentary critique. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. I'm your host, Manners. I'm with Ben Horn and Joe Barton. And let's get into the commentary critique. The whole landscape has been changed. And the first big appointment is David Barnum, who was head of the Big Bash coverage for Channel 10, has been signed by Channel 7 to head up their cricket coverage. I mean, I think that's a great get. And I think we'll see a similar style in 7 as we saw at 10. Yeah, well, they'd be silly not to because it worked at Channel 10 and um, Channel 10 should have been rewarded for it by Cricket Australia. But I think uh, Dave Barham, um, yeah, great appointment from them. They'll be hoping they can get some of those star commentators as well, I suppose, to, to go with it. But he will get the, the format right. And, you know, it's a big job. I mean, it's not just Big Bash, it's it's Test Cricket as well. And integrating the two where some days you might, you'd be finishing a day's play and then crossing to the Big Bash on the same channel. So that's quite a big assignment and, and never been done before. And you need a big team for that, just logistically. You're mm. going to need two sets of commentators. Yep. 
Yeah, they've, yep. got, they've got a lot of uh, a lot of contracts to sign in the next uh, next couple of months. But yeah, there's there's plenty of talent out there who's big, available. Big signing, big signing. Fox Sports. I like this one. Adam Gilchrist. How do you feel about leaving Fox Sports after they got the cricket batter? Well, I mean, they had to throw up some cash somehow, didn't they? So they've, they've saved a bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam Gilchrist going to Fox Sports. I think that's a great get. Uh, Shane Warne is up for grabs. I wonder where he'll go. Yeah, well, I'd be surprised if, if one of them doesn't land him. I think, um, you know, he might not be everyone's cup of tea, but people listen to Shane Warne. He's controversial. He's opinionated. You want someone who turns up first morning and, and starts, um, you know, questioning why the captain's doing this and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, he can obviously um, possibly run a few personal agendas at times, but, you know, I think Shane Warne's someone that you want. He's he's a great commentator. Do you think if Fox Sports signed Warney, then Warney will continue his Darren Berry, it was a better keeper than Adam Gilchrist debate <laughs> in the commentary box? <laughs> You'd, you'd hope not, but luckily Gilly's so humble that he'd probably uh, he'd, he'd accept that debate. There's been some talk that James Brayshaw will uh, head up the Channel 7 coverage, uh, become one of the hosts there. Well, he's obviously had a lot of experience doing it with the AFL and Channel 9's cricket coverage, so I guess he'd be right up in the forefront. That's, that's a, a move which was fairly universally panned on, on social media um, after it was floated and yeah, I mean, Benny's just mentioned that Warney's not everybody's cup of tea. It seems James Brayshaw's very firmly in uh, in the same boat. What um, about Bruce McAvey? Doing the cricket? Mm. Okay. You reckon, you reckon that'll <laughs> well, work? Well, he's not going to be at the tennis anymore. <laughs> well, he's this summer. And then there's a few left field people. So you've got all the people that have been ensconced in a Channel 10 or Channel 9, but there are some people that haven't been there. So uh, our, our friend Robert Craddock has been pumping for Kerry O'Keefe to get a gig under the new arrangement. Uh, do you think Kerry O'Keefe should make the move from sort of ABC Radio to a main network now? So Skull was on Triple M uh, the past summer. Mm. So he's he's obviously he kind of played the played the clown a little bit um, in his role at the ABC and that translated really well to, to Triple M and um, I think he, he did a really good job and he's obviously got that humour as part of his, his uh, in his locker. He's also one of the better cricket analysts yeah. that you'll you'll come across uh, in in the in the commentators across the board at the moment. I don't think there's any commentator who does more research um, and watches more cricket than than Skull does. He's he's really really thorough, um, and he'll be up at all hours of the uh, all hours of the night watching county cricket and and cricket in South Africa and all sorts of I things. Bet he so, loves his long summer, unlike you, bloke. He would. He, I mean, he, he's he's a genuine cricket tragic, and he'd put you. He'd he'd, he'd probably uh, even challenge you, Manus, for for the we'll amount say. of cricket that he watches. Um, and I think he'd be he'd be a terrific addition anywhere he goes, or whether he stays with Triple M. I'm not sure what his what his long term contract is. What but, about um, Dean Jones? He's been commentating overseas for a while. Hasn't been on an Australian network. I really like Dino's commentary. I think he calls it like he sees it. Like Kerry O'Keefe is a very good analyst. He's, he's coached in T20 cricket leagues around the world, so he has contemporary experience. Ben, would you like to see Dino? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I completely agree with Joe. I'd be If I was a TV executive, I'd be uh, approaching Kerry O'Keefe. Um, Dean Jones, I haven't heard much of his commentary, to be honest, just because... I don't watch the IPL and don't watch, don't watch the Pakistan <laughs> Super League, Benny. But uh, but he is, you know, he he. I like his opinions, and he's yeah. I agree with you, Manners. I think he's um, he's someone that could add value. Um, I think he's a voice we need back because there's not it's a different voice. It's it's there's so many commentary spots to fill across these two networks because they've both got big bash. They've both got international cricket. So there's a lot of places to fill, 
and um, not a lot of ex-players that really jump out saying, you know, I should be a commentator. And I, I think I think Jones definitely fits into that category. I think, yeah, I think he, he could get a start. One, one bloke we haven't mentioned, um, and I don't want to seem like I'm purely pumping up the tires of one one player in particular, but Ricky Ponting, I think, is by far and away the the best oh, he'll, he'll the look, best the best analyst. And I can imagine his agent will be just take just negotiating. Top dollar, the, give me the, top dollar, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd love to see him and him and Gilly firing shots for for Fox Sports. I think they they're a great uh, one two combination. What about Matt Hayden, who uh, commentates a lot overseas, but we actually haven't seen him really commentate much in Australia, as he said, I think at an Allen Border Medal, I'm a broadcaster just overseas. So. Would he be someone you'd like to hear more of? I, I think so. Yeah, obviously. He's, Would he bag JL? He, <laughs> there's zero <laughs> chance of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like I like Hados. He's he's obviously nailed down um, the the gigs in in the IPL. He, they, they absolutely worship him um, in India. And as a recently retired player, he's he's got a bit of that insight as well. Anybody who follows him on on Twitter knows that he's not short of an opinion as well. So. I think he would he would definitely be um, somebody who could do the job. And, and as we've said before, there's so many gigs going around and it would be nice to hear some different voices. I mean, we've, we've grown up with kind of the same, or certainly with Channel 9, we've had the same voices for essentially decades on end. So I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing and hearing some, some different voices, some different takes on, on the team. Uh, another one I had was Stuart McGill. Now, I had a really good interview with him on the podcast and he would be someone that I think would bring a very different view of cricket to any of the networks because he's got, he's actually a very good talker. He's got a great voice, uh, very knowledgeable, still coaching some leg spinners. I think he's someone that I don't know if he'll be at the forefront of many networks' um, thoughts, but he's someone that really could be someone to the left field to come in there. Yeah, I mean, I think he's someone I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing um, Stu McGill on a magazine show or something, you know, analysing the game and I suppose that's, unfiltered that's on yeah, Fox Sports. That's the other um they say that every show until summer. Yeah. Well that's the other avenue that, you know, I guess Fox Sports with a dedicated cricket channel are, are gonna be looking at. So yeah, I, I like Stu McGill's um opinions on cricket. So I mean there's a host of guys that, that could could come into contention. I mean you you really want that you want to build that camaraderie and that kind of sense of um sense of a team so i think well, professional is good as well important. if they're all just sniping at each other and arguing that can be good listening um <laughs> what about bringing in foreigners you know we tend to just have australian commentators and then if if a touring team comes over say india's coming this year we might have harsha bogle what about trying to bring a few more uh, international commentators into Australia, if they're obviously prepared to live here, but someone like Danny Morrison or Ian Bishop or Harsha Bogley, just to give a different perspective on our game. Kevin Peterson's been here the last oh, couple of summers. On. So. No way. I meant like someone better. <laughs> I, I do. I, I think that was something growing up that they always used to have um, one of the touring commentators join the join the team for the Michael summer. Michael Holding. Yeah, well, Michael Holding is, is one of the iconic cricket voices. Um, and I feel like he's done... Has he done ones recently? I've, he was commentating the um, the South African-Australian yeah. series, yeah. But has he come down under recently? I, I feel like he probably mm. has, but I can't actually guarantee that. But I remember growing up and having Waka Yunus and, and those kind of guys commentating. And it just, it's good because sometimes you feel, rightly or wrongly, you feel like the Australian commentators can get a bit cheerleader, uh, yeah, bit, bit like cheerleaders and pushing the same cause. Um, and it's nice to have a... Maybe not a voice of reason, but certainly a like a, an opposing view from mm. time to time. I like Peterson and uh, Michael Vaughan. I think they I think they bring a lot to the mm. coverage. 
Yeah, I prefer, Pete, I prefer KP on Twitter. <laughs> his, his voice is his voice is. Maybe if he so. doesn't laugh, that would be good. That but, would be great. Um, he, I think he, I think he's pretty straight, and he, um, his, his views are good. Mm. It's it's purely just his his voice, and and you're right, his laugh, which kind of get can become a bit grating. <laughs> All right, guys, we're coming to the end of cricket unfiltered for this week. We haven't got time for the cricket headlines, but they are brought to you by the dailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. So you can go there to find all the latest cricket news. There's a few things we haven't got to that we'll talk about in the next show. I guess we should end this show very quickly with Can't Let It Go, some things that have been bothering you for the week. And I'll, I'll kick things off. I'll get on the front foot. And this is, I'll tell you what I can't let go is, since the sandpaper scandal broke, there's been all these anti-Australian cricket tweets on social media and this whole sort of painting this picture of Australian cricket being this sort of horrible cultural mess that needs fixing. I'm sick of it. And what I'm doing now is I'm going to be just keeping an eye out for any of these annoying tweets. Or And I'll start with uh, this one. This is, And so this is a warning to everyone out there. I'm going to be looking for your bad tweets. So I'm going to start with one of our colleagues at The Sun, John Etheridge. This is what he wrote when Justin Langer was appointed. He wrote, has anybody ever asked Langer about the ball removing incident in Sri Lanka? Now, I watched it last night. Langer just walked past the stump sort of between balls and knocked a bail off to sort of put off the batsman. Certainly not cheating. And the other one, he goes on to say, John Etheridge, that it was probably a good appointment if you want someone to worship the baggy green and get all emotional about mateship. Lang is your man, obviously done very well at WA, and here's a little cheap shot. Hope he wears a helmet when doing throwdowns. Come on, Mr. Etheridge. We don't need to have a bit of a shot at Lang getting hit in the head when he was batting. And finally, John Etheridge tweeted on the weekend, Believe it or not, some Aussies are good blokes. And then that was sort of captioning a photo of some of our colleagues, uh, cricket journalists who went away for the weekend, older cricket journalists. So that's my can't let it go, mean tweets against Australian cricket. I am watching you. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll jump in with the next one. It's um, kind of harks back to how ridiculous some cricket laws are and the way that rain can can have an impact on cricket matches um there was a, a world cup qualifier between uganda and jersey which Who? come on mate you were watching this weren't you uh, yes yes of course <laughs> uh, and essentially yeah it was rain rain affected and i think they were two balls away from having from the match having official status um when the umpire stepped in and called play off because the run-ups were deemed unfit to be used they were still too damp at that point i think I think Uganda was well ahead on Duckworth Lewis, so if they'd played two more balls, they would have won. Instead, they came back the following day and uh, started from ball one again, which I find truly outrageous. But uh, wow. It was a really nice day yesterday, 30 degrees, yeah. sunshine. Did not, you not get out? wasn't in Uganda. <laughs> yeah, where was it? Uh, that's a good question. I think it was Malaysia was where the, wow. the match was being played, where it's monsoon season, so of course it was raining. Ben, what can't you let go of? Look, I've been doing a lot of Tai Chi recently. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm, I'm in a pretty good space at the moment. But Is that a true story? Have you been doing Tai Chi? No, he's never done Tai Chi in his life. <laughs> I'm going to take but, up yoga. Uh, I mean, one thing that I am struggling to comprehend is how New South Wales cricket has appointed, sorry, named their squad before they've named their coach. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I would have thought you. They knew that they wanted a new coach. Surely you've just got to get that done and give the coach a bit of a say over what squad you're putting together. Yeah, I agree with that one, but I think they must be taking their time on this appointment. But 
big changes in New South Wales cricket. If you can go back to the last show, we had Trent Copeland on, who gave some great insights into Nick Madison. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Manus. Great to have you on as always. Joe Barden, great debut on Thank- the front foot. A few cover drives there. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I had a great time. Um, a few bounces from yourself, but yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Good. All right. Well, listeners, thank you so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered, and we'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. Yeah.